Welcome to Clear Vision. Here we have exclusive up-close and personal conversations with legendary musicians. Our program is devoted to examining what makes people great. Needless to say, everyone has a unique story, a clear vision, and we're here to bring it to you. Welcome to Clear Vision Podcast. I'm Doug Bowder, and I've worked in the music industry most of my life as an educator, publisher, author, musician, and entrepreneur. I've had the honor of talking with some of the legendary names in the music business, and what I found out is that indeed, everyone does have a unique life story, a clear vision on their journey to success. And who better to tell you about these stories than the musicians themselves, their aspirations, dreams, and the decisions they've made that shaped their lives in music. On this podcast, we talk with Kenny G. He is one of the best-selling artists of all time, with global sales totaling more than 75 million records. Let me say that again. Global sales totaling more than 75 million records. My gosh. Beginning his career as a sideman for the Barry White Love Unlimited Orchestra in 73, he was just 17 and still in high school. I interviewed Kenny in the mid-90s, uh, coinciding with the sixth studio album, Breathless. It was released in 92 and uh, went on to become the best-selling instrumental album ever. It sold over 15 million copies worldwide and 12 million of those were in the United States. He's collaborated with some of music's finest. Andre Bocelli, Aaron Neville, Tony Braxton, Natalie Cole, Steve Miller, Weezer, Lee Rittenauer, The Rippingtons, uh, by the way, you'll hear from The Rippingtons in a later upcoming podcast, Frank Sinatra and Smokey Robinson, just to name a few. I found Kenny to be kind, sincere, and passionate about his love for music and playing the sax. Let's get rolling. Kenny G, welcome to our program. You are described by many as one of the most popular instrumentalists of our time. That's huge. That's a huge statement. How does it make you feel to hear that? Well, um, you know, it's a little bit embarrassing, but um, I only say that because the motivation for what I do is just uh, from a very pure place. I mean, I really um, do my music because I have this expression inside of me and, and it comes out in, in, in musical terms. I love doing it so much. To, to receive an accolade like that is, uh, it's almost like getting a pat on the back for doing something you love to do anyway. So you kind of, I, I accept it and it's very nice. Uh, but I, I feel like I'm the one that should be thanking and, and praising other people because it's, it's my pleasure to do it because I love to do it. The album Breathless was your first studio album that you've had out in about four years. Yeah. What took so long? You know, when I write my songs, the compositions, um, the recording process, the produce, producing, I, I'm part of every part of that process. I, I write most of my music and I spend a lot of time in the studio alone recording it um, because to get the kind of sound that I like, to get the kind of expression of the feelings that I like to hear in my music, uh, it takes a long time. It takes a lot of concentration. And creativity and inspiration are things that, that uh, I, a human being just can't rush. You cannot say that you're going to be inspired at 4 in the afternoon on Tuesday and go into the studio and just play beautiful stuff. It has to happen. So I spend a lot of time in there where I'm playing things that aren't coming out beautifully. And then one second later, boom, there it is. So it just takes a long time. And if I could have made this album in a year or six months, it would have been great. 
Um, I know my wife would have appreciated me being able to have more free time, but it was my commitment to the fact that I've been given this great opportunity and privilege to, to play music for my life, and my commitment is to give back only music that's really heartfelt from me. You know, one of the main reasons behind this podcast is to find out what makes people do what they do, what makes them great at their craft. Kenny, what's your creative process behind making such beautiful and successful instrumental music? I never write it down. Um, usually, I turn on my tape machine. I mean, I have a studio in my house, so when I'm doing my demos, quote unquote, it's the real thing. It can be the real thing, because I found that when I'm really natural about it, when my head and my thinking mind is out of the way, my playing is better. And a lot of times when you do things for the first time, you turn the tape on and you're kind of experimenting with the sound, you play something that's just so beautiful. Then, then you try to recreate it and make it quote unquote better, and it never really turns out. So my creative process is, is to go in my studio, turn on all my equipment, start working with my music and have that tape machine rolling because the, when that magic hits, I want to make sure it's on tape. What or who first got you interested in playing the sax? I was watching the Ed Sullivan Show as a 10-year-old boy, and this was after experimenting with the piano. A couple of years, my mom had asked me to, well, I don't think parents ask their children at six. They kind of insisted, you're going to start piano lessons. So I did. Uh, a couple of years later, I just didn't enjoy it, and I requested that, could I just kind of, could I just be a regular kid again? Could I go out and play baseball with my friends and, and not do music? So I got away with it. And then when I was 10, I had no intention of uh, starting up another musical instrument. I was watching TV and I saw this, this, this guy, I don't know who it was, get up and play this sax solo. And I, was, I remember I was sitting on the floor, my mom was sitting on the chair, and, and I looked up at her and I said, hey, I, that looks like a lot of fun. I'd love to be, play the saxophone. And she kind of was a little bit, um, not, not upset, but she goes, well, you're going to probably quit it, just like you did the, uh, the piano. I said, no, I, I really like to try it. It's, it looks like a lot of fun. Well, the next day she rented me a, an alto sax, and it was love at first sight. You know, I never stopped practicing. Your music has a meditative quality to it. Do you consider yourself a spiritual person? Well, I don't meditate in that sense. Um, I'm spiritual in the sense that I, I realize that my ego has no place in the music. So that's a mistake that I think uh, some performers make is letting their ego get in the way. It's not me, it's not my music. It's, it's basically, I'm, I feel like I'm privileged to be able to, um, to have this creative process happen. I don't know why it happens for me. It's not something that I calculate and work on and, and say, well, I'm going to write this kind of a song today because 
I know these radio stations will play it or something like that. It's basically that um, I respect the music. I respect music in general and I honor it by making sure that the, the, the ego part of me gets out of the way. So I think that's a, uh, that may be a spiritual way of looking at it, but I just know that it's the proper way. Oh, sort of like a conduit for your music. You like a conduit? Um, I mean, I, it's, I do have control, though. I mean, it's not like I, I sit there ha and ha I'm out having dinner with my wife and all of a sudden I go, uh-oh, it doesn't work like that. I mean, I do have control, but, but uh, it's important to know that, you know, you just, you have to respect music. You have to respect the art of it the, and the creative process. And the, I mean, because where does it come from? I mean, how do you choose the notes to play? How do you choose the words to sing? Um, it just is something. It's magical, and it's um, it's it's very appropriate to say, all right, I'm going to respect this thing, and I'm going to really honor it by doing it from a pure standpoint, from a sincere place, and that's what I do. And I think that uh, it's kept me a, a pretty happy guy. In a second, I want to talk about a new sax playing buddy of yours. Lives in a big white house, but first, I want to play a clip that we received here from the Bill Clinton. Presidential Library. Here, take a listen. It's my favorite song that I've ever written, and uh, I had the pleasure of performing it with 
but then Governor Clinton, during a campaign appearance at, uh, in Los Angeles, and what the papers didn't tell you was that after he played this fantastic solo in the middle of this song, he went from number three to number one in the polls. So you may not have known that, but that's the way it is. I first met Bill Clinton when uh, we played a duet together of, uh, it was actually of one of my songs. It was just before the California primaries, and he called and said, we're doing this thing, of uh, an event, and I want to play a duet with you. Would, you. would you do it? So I said, okay, no problem. So this was um, back in June, and so we got together, and um, I said, I've got to be honest with you, I've never heard you play. What do you want to play? This is your night. What are we going to do? And this was about five minutes before it was time to go and do the gig. So he kind of smiles at me. And I was a little nervous about this because I, I like to know what I'm doing before I play. He opens up a sax case and he pulls out two pieces of music. One of them is my song, Songbird. One of them is the song that I also wrote called Silhouette. He goes, which one of these do you want to play? And he kind of smiled. I said, oh, that's really nice of you. <laughs> it made me feel good. So I picked, uh, I said, let's play Songbird. And we worked out a little arrangement and we played it. And it was really funny because at the inauguration, I was talking to him and he was telling, he was saying, you know what was really funny about when we did the duet, he goes, there wasn't any press there that day. Because it, it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't, a, I don't know why, but that just didn't happen. He goes, I felt like we were doing a private party, he said to me. Uh, and we were talking about how much we had fun doing that. And I really, uh, he won me over. As a person, I respect him. And as a musician, He's, he's definitely a decent musician. He's, uh, he can play well, he keeps good tone, he has a nice, round, soft tenor sax sound. And I, as I wrote him after he won uh, the election, I said, I'm looking forward to the first jam session in the White House, so. that about wraps it up. Thank you very much, Kenny G, for your time and talking with us. Thank you. What's coming up? Let me see what's on the schedule. I see jazz on the horizon with the violin artistry of Jean-Luc Ponte. We'll also hang out with singer-songwriter Kim Carnes, along with many, many others. Well, that's a wrap, and I hope you enjoyed this exclusive interview with Kenny G here on Clear Vision. If so, please subscribe so you can be notified of our upcoming content. Tell a friend and give us a five-star review. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.